0: All right, the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 115, which I had to look up previously to know that we've done 15 episodes, and that's really cool. Uh, with me always is Richard and Roy, my friends from the north.
1: <laughs> the, the north, yeah. St. Louis is from the north now. I guess when you're in the, the deep south, we count. Yes, welcome from uh, from the northern town of St. Louis, Missouri.
0: <laughs> and I'm
2: me.
1: Roy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm Roy. I'm from
2: Holland, Michigan, which is on the west coast of uh, Michigan. And I'm the the If St. Uh, Louis of is Holland. the
1: north, then, then Holland is beyond the wall.
2: It is, yes. You're a
1: wildling. Yep. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the... I've seen
2: plenty of white walkers around. <laughs> of course, they're all just pasty white guys. Roy,
0: Roy <laughs> is like where Santa Claus lives, like way up there. The now, thing. when I
2: was taking my daughter to school up in Houghton... We, I drove through a town called Christmas Michigan or uh yeah Christmas I believe it is and it's Northern Michigan has just all these little white spots in the road but this has uh there's Santa Claus all over the place so you can go to Christmas Michigan and get your picture of Santa Claus
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah I mean I, well, I think I, I think I immediately go to like Kid Rock when I think of Michigan but yeah um <laughs> Uh, Santa Claus is much better, so there you
2: go.
0: <laughs> so uh, the way we start out on this lovely little podcast uh, is we usually start start about like uh, what we're playing, and of course, if you're listening to this, perhaps you listen to our Breachstorm interview, which is kind of a I we inter- have gotten where we interview a lot of people, and I'm just kind of experimenting with like, well, let's just dump an interview over as its own segment or whatnot. It is a thing like where we would love for you to be like really interested and not normally listen to us and hop onto an episode because you like the interview, but then our episodes end up being almost three hours, and who has that <laughs> kind of time to listen to? So I don't know. It's a work in progress. So anyway, here we are at episode 115, and we're going to talk about what we've been playing, and believe it or not, I actually got to play some things this week. Uh, the first thing I got to play was X-Wing
1: 2.0. Yeah, tell.
0: And, okay, well, that's the weird thing is to see, I never played X-Wing 1.0. You so, never played it? No, I didn't. I Interesting. Actually, I, owned the box, I owned the box set, and then at some point I got a really good deal off a bunch of used ships off Barter Town. It was like a bunch of used ships with a case, and everything else because I thought I was gonna get into it. but I started like looking at it and like chasing the meta was like too big of a problem for me. and even with all the stuff I had, I didn't really want to fool with it and then somebody made me an offer on everything I had. I actually got to keep the nice uh, case I had with it and made like fifty dollars by selling like all the ships and stuff so. That was good for me uh, with getting it. So buying into 2.0, because I talked to a lot of people and a lot of things i read, was like the the meta is not that big of a thing. You know, they're adjusting the rules on the fly through the app and, you know, all this stuff. And so I just, I bought in. I didn't get any conversion kits. I'm only buying 2.0 stuff. And I've had a lot of fun with it. I really did. Uh, The official uh army builder app is leaves a lot to be desired but But
1: there's some uh third party apps out there that i've heard that are pretty good i can't tell you the name of them but i have heard there's at least a couple third party apps that do a good job there's one called battle
2: scribe that i've found for doing legion stuff uh that's a free it's a free app i mean it has ads and things on it Um, oh yeah battle scribe seems to be all right
0: Absolutely. They do Legion, they do Age of Sigmar, 40K, and a bunch of other stuff.
2: Yeah, whatever uh, you're into.
0: Yeah, and uh, the one I found for X-Wing is called Launch Bay. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is pretty neat, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of learning just how the game is played and, and stuff like that. Now, I'm familiar enough with it um, that I play like Wings of War or wings of glory, whatever the thing is now. That's where yeah. uh, X-wing completely stole all their stuff from. So I at least know how to play that. You know, there's just no proton torpedoes and bombs and shit in uh, World War One uh, biplanes. There's also not any pilot upgrades or anything like that. So
1: For force users, <laughs> right,
0: right, right. So yeah, it, it, in building that, it was a lot of fun. You know, and I think I'm gonna start. It scratches that competitive itch I have. I don't think I could get that itch scratch playing Age of Sigmar or 40k. I don't think it's as enjoyable. So I'm gonna really pursue this with the launch of 2.0. Uh, my local group added almost 10 new players, counting myself, and so it's really really big. And they're gonna do monthly uh, tournaments and stuff. So I'm I think I'm gonna just kind of go all in with that. Yeah, so
1: X-Wing is insanely popular and it's a it is a, a good game. I haven't played 2.0, but the the first one was good. Like you said, it 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 became very complicated toward the end and it was a lot of like you said chasing the meta. So those were real valid criticisms that hopefully they're addressing in 2. Now with X-Wing, I guess I ha- I've never
2: played X-Wing, but I I have a problem with the 2D aspect of it. <laughs> is there is there a way that, that you can get a third dimension going on with it?
0: <laughs> okay. All right. It, you think you want three dimensions, but, yeah. Uh, what you're looking for is produced by a company called Ad Astra Games. And I'll link this in the show notes. I got to meet um, the gentleman that runs it, and I, I'm friends with him on Facebook. And I, dadgummit, I cannot think of his name. I actually got a demo of his... Of, the system at Gen Con a couple years ago uh, through him and it is really really interesting like how it's done and it's more complicated it's not super complicated but it's yeah it's it's a whole thing with that Uh, but yeah it completely covers like you can be you know 10 levels above a ship upside down and you want to shoot at it but uh, like most of his stuff is like Squadron Strike is is one of them and yeah but his it's all all the different plotting and yeah it it's it's more complex than X Wing for sure.
2: But, okay, uh, I guess you know they sacrifice realism for playability. I I can yeah I can forgive that I guess.
0: Yeah, that's that's basically it. And the other thing I played was Blood and Plunder for Talk Like a Pirate Day. Um. I, and it, I got, my friend and I got almost everything wrong huh. in pl- in playing it and like what we were doing, but it was still a lot of fun. It, it really is. It's by Firelark Games, and I'll link this in the share notes. They've been really popular with their Kickstarters. They, you know, it's 28, 25 millimeter, 20, 25, 28 millimeter, and you know, they've got their own ships and you know, all this stuff and it looks really cool and yeah. It was just a lot of fun, and uh I kind of hope to play it again and do it correctly, but yeah it's I would highly recommend that, so that's what I had been playing, rich you've been playing root, and I'm envious
1: I did I got to play root, and it was honestly, it was everything I hoped it would be it is it is wildly asymmetric, in that I mean all four factions play completely differently. And it is a war game wrapped up in a cute little woodland forest creature game. And we had a lot of fun with it. I only got to play it once so far. Well, I played a couple turns of the sort of intro game. They've actually got a pretty good learn to play where they set up the board for you. And literally, they give you a piece of paper printed on both sides. And they tell you for the four factions what to do each of your first two turns. So, you know, eight four factions each play two turns and by the end of that two turns you can see each faction how they work it's um and then you you know can re- you can play from there or you can reset play the whole game or whatever but it's a it's a really nice learn to play but um yeah played with uh played with my wife and my daughter we played a three-player game um and my my wife won so she's she uh won as as the birds i played the uh the The Woodland Alliance, which are the the friendly little, the friendly little squirrels and bunnies that do guerrilla warfare. <laughs> so Lovely yes, little I, meeples. I absolutely loved the game. I can't wait to play it again. I think it's going to be a family game that's going to get out a lot.
2: So a family game, but yet scratches the the it, uh, it war really game.
1: edge. it does. It does. It's got that nice little uh, the blend of the two because. Even my my nine year old daughter, she uh, I think she'll be able to play it, and my my wife and my my middle child both like it. So um, there is obviously a learning game. It's not a family game in that like let's get it out during Thanksgiving and have you know parents play it or whatever. Just because you do have to learn how to play it, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I it absolutely does fit scratch both hitches. I think.
2: So in some of the images I'm seeing on Board Game Geek, there's a there's a castle. Is that castle? It looks like a resin castle, maybe that's been painted. Uh, Does that come the 3D castle? Yeah.
1: No, that might be some sort of extra. The the cats, the orange pieces, they do have a keep. So it's possible that someone just made their keep an actual 3D keep or something, but it's just a little cardboard desk in the game. And there are actually a couple expansion factions also that I don't own the the Lizard Folk and the or Lizard people in the River Folk or something like that. So I haven't played with them. Those are expansions. Um, We'll probably get those at some point though.
2: And so it'll play four.
1: Yes. Okay.
2: And then with expansions, will it go up to maybe six?
1: I don't know if you can play all six or if you just get a different choice of four. I'm not sure about that. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah, yeah it's two to four. And this has like been the big this is a huge Kickstarter regret for me. I looked at it. and I'm like, oh, I should back that. Nah, no, I'm not going to do it. I back some other dumb thing that I wish I didn't. And uh, yeah, I really. Yeah, I, I want this. And it's I, I'm in a staring contest with a friend of mine and because uh, I am. Uh, uh, cause I want, cause he's interested in it. I'm interested in it. So which you know, which one of us is gonna save fifty bucks? So you who know? has
2: the sharper Jedi mind trick that you can witch the other person into into buying it?
0: Right, and you know, honestly, <laughs> and that's the other thing is like I really feel like because this is so popular, eventually maybe a year, a year and a half from now, it'll end up as miniature market's deal of the day. For oh like, yeah. For like 30 bucks.
2: Yeah, and they're but already this available reprise, retail but... now, right?
0: Yes, 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 yes yep. it okay. is. The uh the Kickstarter shipped um probably a month, month and a half ago and it's now making it to retail stores. I think retail price on it is 59.99. I think Okay. But but uh yeah, I know I, at least I know that is what Amazon has it for right now. Yeah, and the and the strange thing is, I think um, yeah, eBay has it for 177. Oh wow! But well, that's probably with Kickstarter extras because there is an expansion already for Root if you back the uh the Kickstarter. Yeah. Now I I see
2: copies of it go through uh, Board Game Exchange on Reddit uh, quite a bit. Really. Yeah. Okay. So the the subreddit is called I believe it's called Board Game Exchange. If you're interested
0: hmm i know personally i've been meaning to get into like what is it random acts of board game of war games or or what what, no sorry war games pay it forward
1: yeah i've looked at doing some of those too
0: but uh yeah but anyway is that um, is that
2: a subreddit
1: uh i it's either i know they do it on bgg okay Yeah, i was
0: gonna i was gonna say that or facebook but i'm not sure so anyway Yeah.
1: The thing I like about Root, though, is the mechanics, like I said, it's very asymmetrical. All four factions play very differently, but every faction in its own mechanics just makes so much sense. And you can see, after two or three turns, the player that's been playing that faction, it just kind of clicks. And you're like, oh, okay, this makes total sense. This is the way it works for me but then you're also trying to figure out the other players factions because you have to see what works for them so that you can stop them from doing it in particular so like i said my wife played the birds and she won but the birds have a mechanic where they get more and more and more powerful and eventually they just crash and they have to sort of reset Um, but if you're looking carefully at the birds board you can figure out how to make them crash sooner rather than later so Mm. And that's something obviously we didn't do successfully, but I will try to do next time. <laughs>
0: what else have you been playing?
1: So I've also been playing Battle Hymn. I think I mentioned that last turn last uh, time we recorded. It's, uh, it's actually it's called Battle Hymn volume one and it's got two civil american civil war battles in there gettysburg and p ridge i've only been playing gettysburg so far but um i've just been playing it solitaire so far i think i've got i'm going to play it against someone next saturday uh actually two player like it's supposed to be played it plays well solitaire there's not a lot there's no real hidden information in it and it's a chit draw system so those usually make for good solitaire games in the uh, in the two player game you can use dummy counters for units that are out of line of sight which i would definitely want to do i think that would help in a in a civil war game especially when you don't have a whole lot of you know intelligence it makes more sense if it, it would you you'd be better off using your cavalry to actually ride them around and try to figure out what the other units are bringing um But yeah, it's a Civil War game. It's got a beautiful map. It's got nice counters. The counters are really colorful, and the map is very sort of drab. It looks like something you would pull out in 1860 and have a battlefield map. Um, But the thing I like the most about it, it's got a really interesting um, combat timing system. So instead of the units just fighting when they get close to each other every round, The USA and the CSA each have a combat token, and when you draw that chit out of the cup, that's when combat happens. So it's going to happen twice each round, um, and being the attacker gives you a little bit of um, advantage because you get to do bombardment as well. Um, There is some – you do get an extra attack if the opponent is marching up to you. And then, if you have the initiative in the battle, which is set by the scenario, then you can actually decide when to do combat, which is nice too. So, I've uh, maybe there are other games out there that have that system. I've never seen a system where the combat was determined by a chit draw as well, and I think that's a pretty interesting mechanic.
2: Okay.
1: So that's called Battle Him Volume One, and that's got Gettysburg and P Ridge um p ridge is actually a battle right on the missouri arkansas border so i'm interested in that one and then they've got a battle to uh volume two that's already been announced that one's going to do shiloh and one other battle so i think that's coming out next year and i've been playing some more pavlov's house i finally beat it just barely but i did finally make it through the whole german deck and survive and you know um it's a it's a fun game i've talked about it before but i've like i said i i've did finally beat it so figured i'd point that out to everyone to say that i am now uh <laughs> now now survived pavlov's house at least once so that's been pretty much my my gaming recently all right
0: cool what about you roy
2: so let's see i've been playing uh i played loose which i've mentioned this before this is kind of the granddaddy of worker placement games um It's a uh, you're building the castle and then there's a a road that goes out of the bottom of the castle. It's a switchback road. And along the road, there are various places where you can put shops. So uh, for every time you place a worker, you have to pay a coin. And then when somebody passes, then you have to pay two coins. And when the second person passes, then you have to pay three coins to place a worker down. So typically, when one person passes, everybody else passes right after that because they don't want to get soaked with all that money. But so this is a worker placement game, and um, I've played this maybe three other times. This is the first time I won, and I won handily, and <laughs> I was I was mighty surprised, as was the uh, the guy that owns the game. Um, I beat him, and uh, I was. I was, I was quite impressed with myself that I, that I won K loose and I can't, I, I can't really point to any particular point where like, okay, this was the turning point, um, other than just happenstance and some of it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of having played it before. But, um, K loose is, uh, it's, it's a pretty old game. It's maybe from the nineties. I'm not for sure. Um, and, uh, one of the first worker placement games. Is Kalu's. Okay. And then I played, uh, this is quite a while ago, I played a game called Mysterium, which is, uh, there's another game called Dixit where you have pictures that are given out. So Mysterium. uh,
0: All right, hold hold on. I have to laugh. Dixit. Tee hee. (laughs) Go go ahead.
2: Okay. So Mysterium is a uh, board game where you have one person that's a ghost and they may not speak, and they are sending... Their, all the other players are um, psychics, essentially. And they're sending images to... The ghost is sending images to the psychics to try to identify the um, the, the person that killed them. Well, it's, it's like Clue. So the person, the weapon... And the victim I'm not for sure there's there's three different stages where so the 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 person that's a ghost is giving uh cards with pictures on them to the psychics, and the psychics are looking at the card and looking for at the at the tableau of suspects and the different aspects of the card might match up with something in the uh in the tableau of suspects so that you can ID who the person is so you're trying to get a feel for for the card that you've been given as how it corresponds to something on the table and it's all that's all very fuzzy about how you uh, um, match that all up so it's it's a uh, it's a it's a i guess i would call it a party game it's um it's cooperative so it's all win or all lose um and uh yeah so mysterium
1: so uh I've looked at this one before and I, I thought it looked like a lot of fun how how quick is it to pick up? you mentioned it as a party game can people just pop in and immediately be able to play it? I think so. so like
2: I was given I was a psychic and I was given two cards and um, there were a bunch of things that were round on the on both cards. so I was looking at all the different suspects and like, well okay, this particular card has a bunch of things that are round on it so maybe, Maybe that's what we're going for. So I chose that, and it was, I believe, it was incorrect. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the the nature of the of the artwork and the things on the cards. So there's um, there'd be like the drawing room is all red. So if you get a uh, two cards that have a bunch of red in them, well, it might indicate that that sitting room, or it may just be some other aspect of those two cards that would correspond to a different room so it's as far as the ease of picking it up it's i don't know it's not that hard but it's it takes a little getting used to
0: yeah i will point out that um there is a steam version available if you're interested in trying it out that way and we'll link that in the show notes
1: i think there's an ipad version too but i've heard that it's not very good
2: and you know the the artwork is very lovely to to look at which i mean that's just something that really um that's what draws me into a game is how is how nice it looks um so like scythe i was i was in immediately so with mysterium these the artwork on the cards here um is very nice and and uh and yeah but anyway mysterium and then I was playing um a game called Altiplano with my wife. And that means in Spanish or in maybe in Portuguese, high plane. So it's a, um, it's sort of like Agricola in that you're uh, moving your meeple around the board and you have to go in a path around the board. And so there's like the village, there's the market, there's the mountains where you can get. Uh, ore or stone or silver or there's the ocean where you can get fish Um, and so like for instance if you go to the um, like to the shore if you put down a fish and a food you can get a food so you keep your two little uh, fish and food tokens and then you take another food token and it goes into a box. It's a holding area until it goes into a bag. And um, if you also, if you go to the shore and you bring two wood, then you can, you can get a canoe. And that gives you something a little bit different. So all these, these little round tokens go into a bag. And at the beginning of every turn, you draw out four. Or you can, you can kind of pump up your how many you're drawing out by uh, going to another area. Um, and so it's, it's, they come out of the bag randomly and you put them down on your kind of your, your planning area. And then you decide, okay, well, where do I want to put these? Um, if I put two food here, then I can get, uh, you know, like, uh, a piece of fruit or something, or, you know, in, in different combinations in different areas of the board is where I'm going to put them. But the thing is, is that I can only take an action if my meeple is on that spot, so I can uh, get into my cart and move up to three spaces to another spot on the tableau and do the thing that's there that I have the tokens available for. Um, so it's, there's kind of aspects of, of Agricola. Uh, it's a lot more forgiving than that. Um, there's um, aspects of there's another game called um, Finca where you're moving your, your meeples around a, uh, a, a, a pinwheel or a, a um, windmill. And so you, you have to kind of figure out where you're going to go on the, on the uh, tableau to make things go for what you want to do. So that's plano. All
0: right. What about fairy tile?
2: So Fairy Tile is a kid's game that we saw at Dice Tower Con that I played with my daughter. So there's um, you have the princess and the knight and the dragon, and each one has specific movement rules. And so on your turn, you can move a figure or place a tile, and you're trying to make the situation that you have on the card in front of you come to be. So, like, I want the dragon and the uh princess to meet in the mountains so you have to finagle the movement of the three different characters so that that happens and then if you can make that happen then you can lay your card down so there's the cards go from one to 36 and if you lay them down in order it tells a little fairy tale story about the princess and the dragon and the you know the knight and all that kind of stuff so uh, Fairy Tile is a, a neat game for kids. There's some storytelling aspects to it. There's some, some problem-solving with uh, getting the different characters to move around. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Fairy Tile is from ILO Games.
0: All right, cool. Uh, so the next segment we have is What's on Your Radar? And the first thing I tossed on here was the Four Horsemen Omega War Game. This is a Kickstarter from Clarion Game Studios. And honestly, the reason why I tossed it on here, besides the fact that it's like really cool, big mechs and all that fun stuff, is apparently it's based on a series of novels. And there are 19 books, plus more on the way. So, I just wanted to uh, toss that in here and see what you thought um it's this game will be based on the whole breach system which is currently used in a game called whole breach in defiance of dictators that's the most recent a uh, recent box set and as of this podcast uh they have a week left to go they want sixteen thousand five hundred dollars and they have pledged eleven thousand two hundred dollars so don't know if they're gonna make it need about five more grand so uh you can see this in the show notes why don't you just kind of pop on over there and take a look at it and see what you think
2: so if a kickstarter is so close that they're gonna it's you know like if it's let's say it's five hundred dollars uh underfunded what's the recourse there
0: hmm I don't know. You you would think if they got that close that like the creator or whatever would just kind of toss in on it or 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 something. You know, five hundred bucks just doesn't seem like much. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, especially if you're trying for like sixteen thousand or thirty thousand or fifty thousand or you know whatever. But I guess if you were just trying for a thousand, you know, it might be like, well, okay, it didn't make it. But Mm -hmm. if you're if you're trying for like 10,000, maybe they would it it would happen regardless. I don't know. So
2: is it and that's not a violation of Kickstarter's uh, terms of service?
0: Mm, It may be because technically (laughs) it real well, not if they paid, but if they didn't pay and then they still. Yeah, I I think they would have to pay. That would be the only way because otherwise Kickstarter doesn't get their cut. Yeah, they want to taste. yeah, they they got to get their beak wet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. So, the mm-hmm. next one we, ha- we had was a game called Punk Apocalyptic. And I cannot believe I just said that correctly. It's Punk Apocalyptic The Game, which is a skirmish game based in a um, post-apocalyptic type of setting. And this is out of Spain, I believe. And uh, it just kind of popped up on my radar, and that's why I wanted to toss toss it in here. And uh, it's just got some really cool, like, character designs and uh, whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's still small-scale skirmish, which is, like, yay. But even now, I'm getting, like, ugh, there's so much available now. There's a, there's a lot of Necromunda clones, basically. But whoever they have sculpting their stuff is doing a really good job, and uh, yeah, I'm just going to throw this on here. You take a look at it see what you think. Um, the next thing we had came out of um, the Inside GMT newsletter. There is a new game on the horizon called Mystery Wizard. Have you guys heard about this?
1: Yeah, it's GMT's first ever fantasy game, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm not... It seems like they did something else fantasy, or at the very least, they don't do a lot of fantasy games. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's so that's kind of cool that they're doing this. I know Volkerunka you know, posted a, a thing on it like, "Yay, this is coming out! I'm excited!" And uh, so, yeah, I I really think it's different, you know. Yeah, definitely. Because hmm. yeah, I, I see the the, and you'll see this in the show notes. The person who did the article on a detailed look at gameplay is Andrew Runka, so I don't know. is that volka's brother? Is it his twin that they never he doesn't speak of that <laughs> you know that, that they don't talk about they had a falling out you know many 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 Thanksgivings ago. <laughs> let's, let's let's stream up some head cannon while we're talking. I don't he,
1: you better stop now, or he's never going to come back on our show again. I
0: know. He's like, what did he say? I, I don't have a twin brother. It's, he's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, we'll yeah, we'll just we'll stop now. I'll stop, and uh, you you can just read this in the show notes and just you know maybe be amazed. But I uh, I will say out of you know all this other stuff, there were some other cool things mentioned in this. And uh, what were they, Rich?
1: You talking about in the uh, in the wizard game?
0: Well, just in the, um, the or in the GMT GT-
1: update in general.
0: Yeah, just in the update in general, like <laughs> Ari Viz- Arivistus, <laughs> Ari I guess that's how you say it.
1: Yeah, so that's one I've had that pre-ordered for a long time. It's hit. It was on P five hundred for man. It's kind of been a couple years now. I'm guessing, um, but it's an expansion to the game Falling Sky, which is my favorite coin game. Uh, it's set in uh, ancient Roman times. And it's just uh I think it's it's mostly just a new deck of cards, um but it allows you to uh to play as the Germans as well in the original game uh you play, there's there's four factions there's the Romans, the Belgics, the uh Ar- Ar- Arverni and the uh the Edui, and there's the German faction that sometimes the Belgics can take control of them, uh, but for the most part, basically, they just come in every winter and raid and wreck everything. Um, But in the Aria Vistas expansion, you can actually play the Germans as a regular player, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, I did also see there was an expansion for Cuba Libre, and that one, actually, they had to pull, which was sort of bad news from their update but uh, i had that on my my p500 list as well and that one i guess just didn't make the cut so if you're looking for the cuba libre expansion bad news if you're looking for the falling sky expansion good news
0: yeah i love uh cuba libre for its artwork you know i just really think it's really cool
1: yeah i'm a big fan of the coin games i talked about them a lot and if If somebody is just not a wargamer and they're willing to put up with me teaching them a coin game, I will start with Libre. just because it is really simple. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I just mean that compared to something like Falling Sky or Pendragon, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around Libre. All right. And uh,
0: so... Uh, armies of oblivion is due to ship soon
1: yeah that's uh g uh, mmp not gmt mmp has been publishing pictures on you know facebook and such of the boxes all stacked up ready to go so hopefully this one will be coming out pretty soon and then after that hopefully we'll be getting the uh i guess it's starter kit number two is the one that the only one that i don't have that should be coming out after that so yeah i'm definitely looking forward to armies of oblivion
0: yeah, me too. I'm, I'm missing, even though I've owned it before, yeah, I, I, I've been missing it. So I'm actually looking forward to possibly playing some ASL at the, um, trying to get things scheduled for uh, the Board Game Geek uh, Con in Dallas in uh, November. Yeah. So, yeah, if you guys are going to be there, you know, just message me and, yeah. Because I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. All these people are scheduling games, and I'm like, wait, what? What are you guys doing? We're scheduling games. I'm like, um, when, when I, I don't know what I'm gonna be doing that day. You know, when, when's the buffet? Uh, you know, it's, I'm just very confused. I don't know. So I feel like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's, it's like basically I'm just really confused. And at this point, I'm just like, well, are there anybody I can interview gonna be there? And you know, whatnot? I don't know. Yeah, I came to a conclusion today. I think like. The only thing I want, the only piece of fame I want, is like a quote from myself on a uh, board game box. Like, you know, Adam Chant says, Well, this game was all right. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Chance of Gaming Podcast. You know, something, something like that. Screw there you,
2: Cole Mini or not. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. It was okay. You know, <laughs> it's the, the most okayest game I've ever played.
2: You
0: know, so, anyway, Roy. Tell me about this exciting orienteering course.
2: So I just, I was at the park with my daughter today and um, I saw there was a little sign there that said there's an orienteering course at this park. And so it gives all the um, it's a, you know, one leg to the other kind of course. So it gives, you know, you go to the first uh, post and it gives you a bearing and a, and a, a yardage and you pace it out. So, and i have my uh compass from scouts around and my daughter keeps playing with it and fiddling around with it so i think we need to take it out there and uh see if we can uh figure it out so we're going to go do some orienteering at some point which you know i it's kind of it's it's old school um geocaching in a way um so anyway that's that's kind of what I, what's on my radar
0: i really think that's cool um, there is a local group that kind of does it. Uh, they do it from like a for realsies, like survival thing where they drop you in the woods with a compass and, you know, whatever. And you're supposed to figure out, you know, moss grows on the north side and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. I've always wanted to do that, but I it, at least locally, it's really expensive. So if I went to a local park and found a thing, yeah, I'd be all over that. You know, I, I really dig, you know gps and i always thought that was cool that like hey look the government knows where i am <laughs> as, as in, in this park yeah i always thought that was like really cool but you can uh, drop a tomahawk
2: uh, missile right in your lap
0: <laughs> i know that if they want to spend six million dollars to kill me <laughs> yep. instead of feed, feeding some homeless people or health care or whatever yeah here we go uh but yeah it's i've always dug that i always thought that was really cool so you know uh i did that i wish it was in my area So, all right, before we get to actual news, we're going to toss to this great interview we have with Matt Shoemaker, the creator and guru and overall designer and all this fun stuff of a great worker placement game called Be Lives. We will only know summer currently available on Kickstarter and you can check it out. You'll see the link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so just listen to us ramble on and talk to this guy who is really cool.
2: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Chance of Gaming podcast, and we're here with an interview with Matt Shoemaker. Welcome, Matt Shoemaker. Well, why, hello. Thanks for having me on. So uh, you have are the designer of a game called Bee Lives We Will Only Know Summer. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, that's definitely right. Okay. Well, so how do you spend your time when you're not designing, marketing, and producing a game about
3: bees? Uh, too many things, really. Uh, gotcha. Let me see. My day job is I'm a librarian. At Temple University, where I run the Digital Scholarship Center, which basically means I get to play with 3D printers and virtual reality technology and, uh, of course, games and education all day. Um, And, of course, because I'm making a game about bees, I'm also a beekeeper, which I've been doing for about eight years. And I got into that by mead making. So I wanted to have a way, a better way to get honey to make my mead, because honey is expensive. So I thought, why not, you know? get some bees and then that led into making more mead which of course led into game design thoughts and then eventually making games about bees oh all right yeah so you're um you live within the the city limits of philadelphia that's right i'm in uh, west philadelphia specifically
0: oh okay. my gosh west philadelphia born and, born and born <laughs> raised yes
3: yeah yeah no, i'm not born and raised unfortunately i'm from wisconsin originally but yeah okay. i'm out in will smith's uh, home turf
2: so uh you that's uh like where do you keep your hives then
3: yeah they're in uh, west philadelphia i keep them in a community garden across the street from a cemetery uh the community garden is an old row home plot that got destroyed i've also kept bees before in uh the backyards of of, well ex-co-workers now in the past but they're all in the city they're urban bees okay so they
2: all have tattoos and do rags and everything
3: Oh yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> they have street, just, so they have street smarts I, I think yeah
3: yeah they do. They know where to find all the you know the, the street honey. It's great. <laughs> so
1: Matt okay. are, are a lot of beekeepers uh, like yourself who you would call hobby beekeepers or you know as opposed to I mean I honestly have no idea if it's you know big big, big bee is out there and (laughs) doing lots of honey everywhere or is it amateurs or you know hobbyists like you
3: big bee does kind of exist um they're the people that they literally drive their bees across country to like the almond harvests out in california every year and then drive them to maine for the blueberry pollination and then they just drive their bees around i pity those bees (laughs) Uh, it cannot be a fun life for them but there's a lot of hobbyist beekeepers Uh, It's particularly strong in Philadelphia. I think the Philadelphia Beekeepers Guild has around 300 members. Wow. Um, And the modern hive that you are used to seeing, the little square box, was actually invented in Philadelphia by a man named Lorenzo Langstroth. So there's a lot of bee history out here. So
2: now I must confess, I, I keep wanting to say bee lives matter. (laughs) <laughs> but in fact, the name of the game is Bee Lives, We Will Only Know Summer. Can you
3: tell us about the, the, the title? Like, what does that mean? Sure. So originally the title was just We Will Only Know Summer, which I'm still a fan of. But then I figured no one knows it's a game about bees if I don't put bees in the title somehow. So mm-hmm. that's where Bee Lives came from. Okay. The, the reason it's Be, uh, We Will Only Know Summer is because uh, bees in the harshest time of the year, which in the Philadelphia region is summer – only live about 30 to 40 days so in the summertime it's all about bee warfare and there's no food around and it's super hot and there's these poor little bees flying around gathering nectar whatever they can or trying to fight off other bees or wasps and hornets and things and all they ever know is summer and their sisters might go on and know the better times of fall and spring Um, not that winter's a great time to be a bee either um, but for those, poor summer bees are the ones I decided to name the game for.
2: Oh, it,
3: okay. It, it kind of also gives you a little sense of the game, because the game is a little... Um, it can be a little brutal at times. It is not a walk in the park. It's been compared to Agricola with people starving. Um, your bees can starve to death, things like that. Uh, so it's definitely uh, something to keep an eye on is that summer season in the game. Okay.
2: So you're currently
3: on Kickstarter now, and you have, what, about uh, two weeks to go? Yeah, a little over two weeks, I think 18 days, specifically. Um, Yeah, we started off, and it's been going really good. This is my first Kickstarter. Um, I've been designing games for more than eight years, board games specifically, as part of my librarian duties. And this is the first one that I wanted to actually kind of bring to market and share widely with people outside of the classroom. So we hit our stretch goal very, uh, very early on. And I'm sorry, not our stretch goal, our funding goal. And mm-hmm. we just hit our first stretch goal yesterday, if I remember correctly. Um, so we're working on that and we're gaining people every day. I think we we're uh, we've got more than 350 backers right now, if I remember correctly. I just looked, of course, minutes before this this interview. That's uh, that's got to be a great feeling to, to see your your
2: kind of all your thoughts and and efforts uh, kind of all come together
3: and see that it's okay. going to come out. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was very happy when we funded. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, we put a lot of effort and getting the word out on the game before. I've been playtesting it and working on it for, for more than a year. Um, and, uh, you know, we were confident it was going to go over well, and, and it has. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a gigantic blockbuster, but then again, we're a first-time uh, game studio uh, with our first published game, and we're just getting people to hear about us. So And, and you know, we have lots of peoples, which are awesome. If you want a bee-themed meeple, they're not uh, gigantic, uh, super fancy miniatures. But if you are a Euro cube pusher, you will love these types of things. <laughs> so I met you
2: at Dice Tower Con, and that was at the beginning of July in Orlando. Um,
3: how many conventions have you been to over the summer? Uh, let me think about it. Yeah. Um... Over the summer, I think I was just at three this year. But overall, since I started working on B-Lives this past year, I've been to seven. Okay. So I've taken, I've, the first one was Pax Unplugged. Then I was at, uh, I think Unpub 8 was next. Then I was at Dreamation, which is a small con up in New Jersey near here. Uh, I took it to Gary which was its first real big public showing, which is a, a, a nice convention out in Wisconsin. And then I hit some bigger ones, Origins, Dice Tower Con, and then we had a booth at Gen Con, which was awesome. Um, If any of you, uh, I'm sure if you've been to Gen Con, you know it's nuts. It's even more crazy on the vendor side of things. I had Mm -hmm. two demos going. We had the demos down to three to five minutes each. and It was just nonstop people coming. Everyone was excited about B-Lives, wanted to check it out. Uh, It was a great feeling. All right. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, So why don't you tell us about the game? Yeah, so Bee Lives is a worker placement and resource management game for one to four players. It takes about 30 minutes per player to go through the game. Uh, you've got about eight actions you can take uh, with your bees, and each bee that you have can take an action. You start the game with three of them, and one of the things that's unique about it is that you both gain and lose workers in the game. Um, part of it is how you get victory points. So you earn points in the game by doing things that are good for the bees, those would be swarming, which is how they naturally reproduce. Uh, when you do that, half of your workers actually leave the hive and create an AI-driven opponent for you and your other human opponents that you're playing against. Um, then you also get points for uh, raiding, uh, which is going out and trying to steal honey from other hives, for successfully defending your hive from being raided. And finally, it wouldn't be a bee game without you know hoarding honey. So you get points for whatever honey and bees you have that survive at the end of the winter. Uh, In an average turn, you're going to take your bees. You're usually going to have a minimum of three and uh, upwards in a one-year game of about, I'd say, between nine and 12. And each one of those are going to take one of those eight actions. That's anything from gathering food, cleaning your hive out to manage disease, um, building up the comb in your hive so you've got more space to store stuff. Uh, And then, of course, scouting out more territories and your opponents to see if they're worthy of sending your bees out to try and steal some of their honey from them. There's an upkeep phase after everyone takes their actions where you um, go through, get new workers, feed your workers. Of course, any of your poor workers that you don't have honey for are going to starve and die. uh, And then see if you swarm. And then when you swarm... Uh, you get those opponents created, you score some victory points, and do it all again for nine months of the play. Uh, it goes through the three months of spring, three months of summer, and three months of fall before you do an upkeep phase of winter. Uh, at the end of winter, whoever's got the most points wins the game.
1: So, Matt, I have a question about the solitaire play. Yes. Um, you said it was one to four players. What's the solitaire play like? Is it, um, is, it is there some sort of Automa, or is it just beat-your-own-score type of thing? Uh,
3: it's Well, it's mostly beat-your-own-score, but there is kind of an automata. Um, so I, 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 Solitaire play is very important to me. I play a lot of Solitaire games, and I wanted to work this into it. Um, so there's a few different options for it. Uh, the most basic one is you're essentially playing the multiplayer version, but against yourself, and that's purely beat-your-score. The reason this works is because when you're generating those wild hives, they are driven off of an AI, so that's where that automata comes in. And, um, so you're creating your own opponents that you then have to plan against, um, by knowing kind of the actions that they're going to take. There's a slightly more advanced version of that where instead of you relying just on you to create your wild hives through swarming, you're going to create them, uh, through, uh, just events that happen every month or two of gameplay. So every other turn or so beyond that, uh, and we just hit a stretch goal for this. We have... Uh, What I'm calling, um, oh man, I'm blanking on it. How can I blank on this? Um, Challenge cards, thank you. Um, Challenge cards where these are different events where you basically have added victory conditions to the game. So you're trying to both beat your score and meet these conditions. They could be anything from having, say, a very high disease level to maybe the map needs to be a certain size. You need to complete a certain action in the game so many times. Things like that. The nice thing I like about the challenge cards is that not only can you take them out through the card deck uh, to combine multiples and also pull them at random if that's the kind of challenge you want, but you could also add them in the multiplayer games if you wanted. I didn't design them that way, but it could work. I've also got some scenarios where you start off with a specifically designated map, because the map is variable in this game, and there you need to um, survive different situations. It could be multiple hives on the map. It could be going through certain seasons— or just dealing with certain land types. And then finally, I've got a couple campaign modes created that go through two to three years of the game. A normal game only goes through one year of play, so this is 18 or 27 turns instead of nine, where certain things are happening. Uh, One of the ones I really like is called Wildfire, uh, where your hive starts in a certain spot, and you have to actually move it across the map, because part of the map starts on fire and gets destroyed and moves closer and closer to your hive every turn and you need to make it to the to winter uh, without getting caught in that fire.
0: Now, I had a thought about the uh, solo mode, I wanted to ask. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I've just seen a lot of Kickstarters offer the option, but I'm always curious if the game was originally envisioned with that mode, or was it just kind of an afterthought to maybe encourage more pledges?
3: Oh, no, no, no. The solo has been in something that I designed it from the get-go. Um, I like to do solo modes in my games for a few reasons. One, like I mentioned, I am a solo player and I think that's important. And two, it really makes testing, especially the early stages, a lot easier to think solo first from the get-go. It just helps you design things more smoothly and then you can kind of work that into the rest of the play. Um, That's how I like to design personally. I'd be very surprised if I didn't design uh, any future games without a solo mode for that reason. Um, And yeah, this is definitely not something just to get backers. Uh, The the solo cards were our first stretch goal. Um, Just to be clear, they were included in the game as digital uh, only to begin with. Um, And now that we've hit that stretch goal, there are going to be physical components in the game. They were always something part of the game. Uh, They just weren't physically with it until we unlocked that goal. So uh, along with uh, B-Lives, what other sorts of games have you designed? So, a lot of my games that I've designed in the past have been for educational uses. So, uh, I'm a librarian and an archivist. So, a lot of what I've done has been working with archival and library materials to kind of run people through, <clears throat> excuse me, run people through simulations to understand hor- historical um, kind of interactions. Okay. I uh, worked a little bit with uh, Brian Meyer on. Um, Freedom, The Underground Railroad. Uh, I didn't do too much with the the gameplay itself, but I did write the historical background for that game, and then I've done a lot of things for uh, working with, for example, teaching people about labor movements, um, corporate monopolies, things like that through types of uh, train games, um, modifying those, um, going through some kind of uh, civilization-esque simulations, and then... Uh, we continue to work on uh, other types of games. Just, just this past week, we were designing a game um, using soccer uh, in the 1930s and its rise to teach about globalization.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah, that sounds so, really interesting.
2: Yeah. we uh, Actually, I think we talked about the Freedom Game a couple of weeks ago. Yeah? Uh, uh, in our yeah. regular podcast.
1: Yeah, we mentioned it when we were talking about basically sort of controversial topics in the... We're talking about the uh, the new Holland Spiel game, this Gu- this Guilty Land,
2: which is about right. uh,
1: the slavery, slavery problem. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Yeah. So, do you have a favorite designer? Uh, yeah, I would say for my uh, current modern games, I'm gonna go with uh, Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, he okay. inspired uh, part of what got me to make Be Lives in the first place. I just started playing like Caverna and um, uh, Feast for Odin, and really. I don't know, I just, something in it just sparked me. You know what? I could take some of this and make a worker placement game about bees. Um, so he's been really kind of, uh, you know, I've been, he's been in my brain a lot lately.
2: Well, <laughs> you, you said you you described it as Agricola
3: with a lot more starving, right? Yes. Or somebody else did? Yeah, other players have said that. I haven't made that comparison, okay. but I've had several playtesters say that.
1: Yeah, when I play Agricola, there's a lot of starving. Cavern is easier, but Agricola has a lot of starving in it.
2: So another question we had here. Uh, Adam, you're going to ask something about the honey, the one of your tiers as far as the honey goes.
0: Oh, yeah. The, um,
2: the samples of honey?
0: Yeah, you have a, a tier. One of your tiers is for honey samples of Philadelphia honey samples. And I was just curious, like, uh, is it difficult to ship that overseas, you know, with customs and whatnot, or even in the U.S.?
3: Uh, In the U.S., it's not a problem, and that's why we're limiting that tier to U.S. only. Oh, Um, would, I would love to ship that tier overseas, um, but that would be a shipping nightmare, unfortunately, and something we don't want to deal with with customs. So Uh we've got to leave it, unfortunately, to a U.S. only tier.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, you are a beekeeper, or what is the correct term? It's actually apiarist? apiarist?
3: Um, How how do you say it? I I, I think that's right, apiarist. I mean, bees are kept in apiary, so I never hear anyone use that term, though. I mean, it's always, you're a beekeeper, so.
0: All right, there there you go. Uh, And you guys are much better than wasp keepers, you know. (laughs)
3: No, wasps are are terrible. Those guys are like the jerks of the insect world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, beekeepers are apiarists. Wasp keepers are just assholes. So, you know, that's that's this whole thing. You know, as you being a beekeeper, I was just curious do you have any thoughts on colony collapse disorder?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think just the fight of the bees really got a raw deal right now. Besides colony collapse, they're fighting against like the Varroa mite and the Smile Hive Beetle. Then you've got diseases like Nozema, um, plus then all these questions about pesticides and how neonicotide um, pesticides, which are are, uh, pesticides based on nicotine, the same thing that's in cigarettes, are used to affect the brain of the bee and how they develop and what might be causing colony collapse. No one really knows for sure. All I know is that it's not good. I mean, the bees pollinate, you know, a very large quantity of the number of, Vegetables and fruits that we eat, and uh, you know, the fewer pollinators we have, the m- just the more problems we're going to have in the world. And I really wish there'd be a l- at least in the United States, Europe, from what I hear, has been doing a better job of this. But you know, in the United States, we do a little more uh, attention to our science and uh, environment when it comes to what's going on with the bees.
0: People may think of bee lives as being kind of a niche game, but the reality is, Board Game Geek has twelve. 12- has a 12 page list of games with a bee theme what would be your favorite or could you even name another one that uses bees
3: well yeah there's waggle dance hive technically very loosely um how oh, what's that other one there's bees which is a dice bee game um there's hive mind although it's only bee in theme the gameplay has nothing to do with bees let me think. There's a couple others out there, but I haven't seen any other B worker placements like this before, which is part of what led me to design it, is that I went looking through and I couldn't find anything. Most of the B games were either B theme only, like Hive Mind, or they were kind of more kid oriented. And I really wanted to make something that, you know, appealed to Euro gamers and you know, medium to to light, heavyweight gamers. That uh, really kind of lets you get in and be a beehive, and kind of think like a bee, and play through a game through that lens, rather than just the general kind of um, straight up engine build. You know, the, you know, you know how a lot of euros the themes kind of tacked on. I consider myself mm-hmm. a theme first designer, and I really worked with this to make sure the mechanics fit the theme, rather than attaching a theme to the mechanics later. Um, I know that got a little off your original question about B games, but that's kind of how I came to, you know, evaluate the current field of what's out there, and then what I eventually made. Okay. So, uh,
2: what's the what's the future then for uh, what you? I'm sorry. What's the name of your company? It's called Hit 'em with uh, the hit, Shoe. Yep, Hit 'em with a Shoe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what's uh, we, what's what's the future
3: of uh, of Hit 'em with the Shoe games? So now that B Lives is successful, we're um, attending or planning. I, I don't have this in the books, but I, I submitted applications for some booths at conventions next year once bee lives comes out i'm planning to make an expansion for bee lives um that will be a semi-co-op with uh where there is it's going to be for an additional potentially additional up to four more players where they play as beekeepers and you have to kind of work in tandem with the players that are the bees but you're not necessarily working towards the same ends So this is in the early stages of development, um, but I've got it pretty well fleshed out, but I need to go into playtesting with it yet and see that. And then I also want to make a game about an obscure dog sport called Earth Dog, that to me is kind of like um, dog dungeon crawling, where basically (laughs) they they put – in the real world, they put a rat in a PVC pipe, and they bury it in a wooden maze under the ground – and then they send dogs that are terriers, like Dachshunds or Cairn Terriers or whatever. And they have to find it by scent as quickly as possible. And I, to me, that just sounds like it would be a fun little, you know, lightish card game. So we'll see what I can come up with for that
0: one. Okay, what? yeah, you've got me on that one. That, I say do I, a
3: board game geek
2: search on that. I bet you <laughs>
0: come up <laughs> with anything. It, it does remind me, have you thought about anything with updog? Updog. Up Dog, no, I have not. Okay,
1: hey Adam. Up What's up dog?
0: Yeah. I don't know. What's up dog with you?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. He put it on a uh-huh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now uh now that you've done a bee game is there like any other insect themed games on the horizons Maybe like wasps
3: <laughs> I mean not not in my mind I could see myself doing something like that if there's demand for it. I mean, I don't want to get hit with a shoe in, like, the total niche of just doing, you know, uh, flying insects with stinger games. But, <laughs> you know, that could be fun. You know, you fly around and you're just a jerk to people or something. <laughs> you know, kind of like, what is that? That It's a video game, but that new jerk goose simulator game where you're just a goose that goes around and, like, steals people's sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> Turn That's that up. But. Stands
1: on the bike path and honks at me.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just make that and make it tabletop and with wasps. I could, I could see maybe doing that, but, but no, nothing in the immediate future short of that expansion I talked about earlier.
0: Okay, I, I did not know about the jerk goose game. I yes, m- my life is now complete. I yes, I need this. I need this in my life, and it's available on the Switch and the PC. This is fantastic. It's on the Switch. I I can play it at work. Fantastic excellent now um i noticed like uh on your kickstarter one of the things you did um or at some point is you contracted with uh be bold games that's right to to do things can you tell me like uh do you think that was good for you you know as a i i think they're pretty good as a content creator and a um i can't think of the social media term it's something like um you know, uh, a influencer aggregator yeah. or something like that.
3: Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I mean, especially as a first-time creator, I don't know if I would have needed their assistance as much if I'd had more of a campaign um, back background. You know, if I'd done more campaigns in the past, but I definitely needed their assistance with videos. Um, Bebo's uh, business managers had a lot of good advice for doing the fulfillment end of the Kickstarter, which has been invaluable. Um, because that is the one thing I've got the least amount of experience with. And I'm not worried with, for it at all. Um, we're going to handle it fine. We've got great partners in the U.S. and the EU for shipping um, and getting those games out. Um, so that should be good. Um, but they've also definitely helped in getting me in touch with other influencers and then, of course, Bebo doing her own influencing in the media online. So, yeah, I think it's been a good partnership. Plus, Bebo is just, you know, great to work with and a great person. So that's always been fun as well.
1: So your Kickstarter has a couple weeks left, but you are funded, and the game's, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out. But um, once all that is over, are people going to see this in local gaming stores at any point, or how's that going to work?
3: Yeah, so I've got several retailers that have pledged for the game, and I'm hoping we get some more. But unless uh, the funding gets considerably higher, uh, at least for this first print, it will not be in retail stores. I just can't okay. get the, I can't get the numbers. Um, but with the expansion coming out, and then plus with us going to show this game at conventions, it's definitely a possibility with a second print run.
1: Yeah. I'll bet homeschoolers would be interested in this. Homeschoolers really like educational games, and I could see this. Um, we're a we're homeschooling family, and I, I can just really see this game selling at homeschool conventions.
3: Okay, yeah, I can believe it. I've had a lot of homeschoolers uh, approach me about it, actually. So I can definitely see where that would be a good tie-in.
2: You know, there is. I did notice you. Uh, one of your tiers is um, a copy for the backer, and a copy to be sent to a local school or library. Yep. That, I think that's great. That's. Uh, let's see how many you have. Thirteen backers doing that at at moment
3: or at the moment. Yep. No, so, I mean that's something I definitely want to promote. Is getting. I mean, this game is not. It, it's there's an educational component to it, but it's not designed as an educational game. Mm -hmm. it is designed as an entertaining game for gamers first where you learn about bees through play so through that and uh, you know like i said i've got a lot of experience making games for to learn to teach people things uh, particularly at the high school and college level and um, i think that translated well and it can continue to translate well by getting this game into schools and libraries for people to kind of play with and check it out so anybody who Who agrees with me on that point? I want to, you know, we're subsidizing the game a little bit. I mean, we, you know, we've got to work with the cash we have based on what we pull in the Kickstarter. Um, But, you know, we want to help them out to do that, to get these games into the hands of libraries and schools.
0: Now, one of the other pledges that I'm interested in is that the $2,000 level, that's at the Beekeeper level, is the ultimate Bee Lives experience. Oh, yes. All right. Oh, yeah. Not only do I get a copy of the game, I get to come to Philadelphia and experience a day of beekeeping activities. Can you explain a little more about that? Like, I know I have to pay for my own flight or train or ever how I get there, but uh, what more does this include? Yep. So anyone
3: who does that level would come out to Philadelphia. We would go out to my personal apiary out in West Philadelphia, and I would take you through doing hive inspections and show you what generally everything you need to know about inside a beehive. Anything you need to know about getting started to keep bees yourself. Take you around to a couple of the other local areas of people of the Philadelphia Beekeepers Guild. Um, we're of course uh, going to do that. I'm also happy to you know talk about and show different landmarks of bee hist- history within Philadelphia itself. Um, there will be copious amounts of honey eating. Uh, there will be a nice dinner that will be themed off of, you know, foods that either pollinated by bees or that, you know, pair well with honey. There will be mead tastings. And, of course, the game, the evening will end out with a night of playing bee lives against me or with me, you know, depending on however you want to view it, um, to round out what I hope would be an awesome day.
0: Now, will the dinner be provided by you or will we'll get a restaurant? How does that work?
3: Now the dinner uh, would. I mean, to be fair, we haven't planned out that far, but I'm planning on doing that at a restaurant. There's plenty of restaurants out in Philadelphia. Um, that cheese kind steak. Of... Yeah, well, there's cheesesteaks,
1: <laughs>
2: honey
3: covered <laughs> cheesesteak. There you go. How's that? <laughs> okay. Um, now cheesesteak for lunch maybe, but for dinner I think we would go to one of the more uh, kind of farm to table establishments uh-huh. that work well with local produce and uh, that we've worked with before on um, you know doing kind of food programming for uh, the beekeeping events that we do out here in Philadelphia as part of the Beekeepers Guild. Okay.
0: What about going to Patty's Pub? Could we do that?
3: That is definitely an option if that's what people want to do. Okay. (laughs) Just curious. Yeah.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, Matt, thank you for talking with us. And uh, as a final question, what is your ideal breakfast? My
3: ideal breakfast? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to go back to, I think... So about a little background. So about 10 years ago, before I moved to Philadelphia, I worked very briefly in Germany for um, uh, one of their archives, the city archives in Cologne, Germany, collapsed. And when we were there, they fed us breakfast every day. And it was just this huge bounty of German breads and meats and things like liverwurst and stuff like that that was amazing that always ended up at the end with these fantastic Bismarcks and other donuts and things like that. So I think I have to go back to that being my favorite ideal breakfast is just this kind of giant buffet of uh, European breads and meats ending out with like the most decadent and rich donuts you could possibly imagine. I think that would be my ideal breakfast.
2: <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So be lives. You will only know summer. Available on Kickstarter now. There's, uh, what, uh, two weeks left? Something yeah, like just, that? Just about. A little, little over two weeks, yep. Okay. So if people are interested, they can go check it out on Kickstarter. Yep,
3: yeah, please and, do. Uh, you can yeah, oh. look it up on Kickstarter, or you can just go to belivesgame.com. It'll take you right there. All
2: right. Thank you very much.
3: Yep, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you, Matt.
0: Thank you. And we're back. Through the magic of editing, it's just really fun and cool and stuff like that. So, the next. I went and made a sandwich. Had... I know, really, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I did, yeah, I, I wrote a novel and, you know, did all this stuff and got another degree. It's, it's fantastic, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, the next thing we had is uh, Rick and Morty, Look Who's Purging Now, a card game. I know from some freelance work I've done with a, a local vendor. Rick and Morty is super popular. I know this may be hard for, you know, some people to believe. Yeah, it is. And uh, it is very attractive to people wanting to play games. And this particular game, which I have no idea how it plays. I do know it is based on a particular episode. uh, It's, I will say, though, it's only, MSRP is only 15 bucks. So... You know, it's probably worth you checking out. And uh yeah, it's Lacoose Purging now. I now in my from my own perspective, also in this particular article that you'll read in the show notes is Challenge of the Super Friends, which is a card game coming out, and it's has the same MSRP of fifteen bucks. And uh yeah, I'd check that Because, I mean, that's honestly what I remember like comics being was the Super Friends. You know, and because I mean, Aquaman really sucked. You know, he was he was terrible in that. And uh, yeah, Batman was awesome, of course. You know, and Superman was awesome. <laughs> you know, but yeah, Aquaman was just terrible. It's like, why would anybody cheer for this guy? He's, he's awful.
1: Jason Momoa is gonna visit you at your house tonight and beat the crap out of you.
0: Uh, oh, okay. Look, if Ronan Dex wants to come <laughs> in and beat me up, I I'll accept it. Yeah, he's, he, it, look, they could not have cast anybody better, in my opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he's perfect, boom, yeah, that, great. I'm a huge fan of Batfleck, too. It's like, we, we cast Ben Benafleck as Batfleck, Bat I'm Fleck. like, oh my gosh, perfect, perfect. I love Batfleck, this is great. So, anyway, we're, we're getting out of here. Uh, moving on is uh, Warlord Games' post-a-guide for getting into Black Powder 2nd Edition. I will mention at this point that I approached them like, hey, uh, I have a shitty little podcast that has like, you know, seven listeners and I would love to give away a copy of Black Powder 2. Can you like, help me out? Um, You know, I don't even need you to send it to me. I'll just tell you who won and you can mail it off. And they never responded. So, there you go.
1: (laughs) Bigger
2: fish to fry.
0: Just, I, I know. They're like, Ugh, whatever. Do you think you're Bebo Games or something? Or I'm sorry, Bebold Games or you know, whatever. <laughs> this, yeah.
2: Next time you need to sign it, Tom Vassel. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, and then they'll signed, step right up.
0: Yeah, Tom Vassel and <laughs> Bebold Games. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, sir. We'll send that right to you. No problem. And so, yeah, um, I'm actually excited about that. It's what I mean. I'm just well I collect rule books, I read them and you know, I kinda hope that one day I'll I'll play and whatever, but yeah, black powder is something that's really interests me forever and I've had several friends that have it too and we just buy rule books and we build forces and we never play, so you know Yeah. I can't that's, wait to...
1: that's the thing. I mean, if if someone if I was at miniature market and someone had this on the table, I would love to play it, but yeah, it, we've talked about it before. If you're the only one that owns it, then it's not much fun. So,
0: yeah, I, I'm a big fan of R- Rick Priestley and his rule style, you know, and all that stuff. And eh, I'll buy, I'll buy this or get it eventually, and you know, whatever. So, anyway. Moving on, okay. And if if it happens that I actually get some to give away, I'll let you know. In the meet in the, in the meantime, drop us a line at chanceofgaming at gmail com, and I'll send you a sticker or a dice bag. It'll be great. Uh, yeah. Moving on, the next thing we have, I'm not familiar with the Tiny Epic series, and this is Tiny Epic Mix.
1: Yeah, we talked about this in one of our early episodes, I know I brought it up because I remember people going crazy about it. The tiny Epic series, there are, I'm going to say at least six, maybe as many as 10 versions of it. And honestly, I've played one of them. I can't, I think I played the fantasy one and to be perfectly honest, it was okay. I mean, it was fine. It was enjoyable, but it definitely didn't make me want to run and pick it up. But it is a very popular series. There are a lot of people out there that are in love with it. And when they saw Tiny Epic Mechs, Facebook blew up for a while. So now it's out here on Kickstarter, $15,000 goal, and they're at $413,000. So I think they're going to be okay.
2: You know, Yeah, the, it, it, it,
0: go, go ahead. Uh,
2: so the the, the, the jacked-up meeples look pretty cool. So yeah. it's a meeple with little plastic overlays of... of of uh guns
0: and yeah Yeah. well that's the thing is you take like a regular meeple and you drop it into a freaking mech and then it kills people or or stuff you give it a fucking sword and shit Mm -hmm. uh i i know uh i've looked a lot at the zombies thing where your meeple can like drive a motorcycle and have like an uzi and you know and all this stuff uh, mechs are right up my alley, and this looks really cool. And apparently, it's super popular because, like you said, they're almost at half a million dollars. All they wanted was just a teeny tiny fifteen <laughs> grand. You know that it, they wanted like a, a, you know, a slightly used Toyota Celica in dollars, and they're <laughs> like, no, no, no. Here's ha- we need half a mil. You know, here you go, here's <laughs> half a mil and uh looking at this you could get the base game for 20 bucks not yeah. counting shipping which which is really cool and then at 25 you get all the stretch goals that's really nice. of course it's print and play and then you get the deluxe game so yeah that's really expensive i mean even if you're paying like you know 15 shipping it's still really nice and apparently a lot of people like this. So there you go.
2: So this looks a little bit different than the tiny epic games that I've... I've played the Galaxies. Yeah. And that was yeah. just... There's a lot more... This looks like kind of like a war game.
1: It does. It looks more... I don't know. It definitely looks more uh, involved. The yeah. pieces are obviously more involved because in the other one... You just get the meeples and we're basically just mark, you know, what territories you own. The board itself looks quite a bit different. So it does look like this is um, something new that they're doing. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll see how it turns out. Like I said, I've played the uh, I think I played the fantasy one and it was fine, but it wasn't anything I was crazy about.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, like like I said, I only know the zombie one that I've seen. But yeah, apparently kids love it everybody loves this game whatever <laughs> anyway uh moving on to um flick where no one has flicked before hold on
1: is... you're making me nervous with that sentence there
0: it's just what is this Star Trek
1: <laughs> oh
2: okay
0: Star Trek all right good conflict in the neutral zone
2: you thought there and was a taint is... involved didn't you
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, dexterity game set in the Star Trek universe that will release next February. Designed by uh, Mike Elliott, who did Thunderstone, Fleet Captains, and uh, yeah. So this is the Federation of the Klingon Empire vying to exploit the resource-rich planets of the Neutral Zone. You flick disc representing various starships, and it is up to collect resources or attack other ships. So... You know, there you go.
1: So uh, are go flick games becoming like the new thing? Because, Roy, you did one of these a couple weeks ago, didn't you? And I know I've seen uh, SEAL Team Flicks at the game store. And yeah, now we've got a Star go Trek flick game, so. I don't, I'm don't. i not really a fan of them. You did one. Didn't you do one at the con? It was like a car racing game.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, um, shoot. Was it Pitch Car? Pitch Car, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: So it seems Which, like all of a sudden I'm hearing a lot about flick games.
0: Ah. Yeah, that's the one. Remember we we talked about Crokinole and yeah. Yeah. yeah I re- I remember that episode. If you're listening to this, you should go back to our mini <laughs> large volume of 14 yep. other episodes in the back catalog. And, I know. And then write a review on iTunes praising us with 5 stars. So, just saying. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Yes. You you want to. Anyway, uh, yeah, you mentioned Seal Team Flicks. I'm actually interested in that game. I think it looks really good. The price point is nice. And, uh, yeah, I I like the idea of a dexterity-based game where I'm just, like, you know, shooting out a little disc. And, yeah. So maybe it's the wave of the future. I don't know.
1: (laughs) We need a zombie My Little Pony flick game.
0: Yeah, surely, in the time that you said that and we published (laughs) this episode, someone will come up with it. I feel feel like it would be. Uh, I guess, uh, moving on. Osfront releases Gladius Hereticus Solo RPG, and you know all about this, Rich, right?
1: I do. I haven't played it yet, but for $3.50, it looked like it was worthwhile. It's a... It's sort of like uh, it, it. it's a roguelike, basically, if you know what those are. They're just dungeon dwellers where you're expected to die. But it plays with just a deck of cards and a piece of paper, and it's very simple, $3.50. So I picked it up, and I'm going to play it at lunch sometime.
0: Yeah, uh, that you mentioned the deck of cards, and I realized when I played Blood and Plunder earlier that um, I only had one faction-specific deck, and I had to search out my house for another deck of cards to play, and I ended up finding the dog cards. Do you remember the dog? What? No. <laughs> it's uh, it was it was a whole thing, like it was all these pictures with a specific lens on a camera of a dog, and it looked like his nose was really big and his the rest of his body was really tiny. It was a whole thing, like yeah, ten years ago. Yeah.
2: I remember some picture books that my daughter had.
0: Yes, yes, that's huh? it exactly. Like ten years ago. I mean, it was that long, but that's all I found. And yeah, it was really funny trying to game with that. So anyway, so whatever.
2: So this, uh, this Gladys Hereticus is this? Uh, is this is sort of like a choose your own adventure
1: in a way. Um... I guess in a way, except that there is some randomness instead of, you know, if you do this, turn to page five. If you do this, turn to page six. Instead of that, you'll actually draw a card and you'll place the next tile of the dungeon or the next monster you face uh, based on what the the suit and number of that card Ah. is. Okay. All right.
0: All right. Cool. Uh, I guess the last thing we had was Z-Man Games post I can't pronounce that. What is that? Oh, Can- man,
1: I was code. hoping to hear you try to pronounce it. Condottieri?
2: Yeah.
0: Condottier? Sure. Yeah, that. Yeah, sure, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a... I, I really dig the idea of it. It's Italian city-state com- conflict, and its players are control of an Italian city-state and must use their armies to enforce dominance over the country. And uh, I just kind of dig that, that particular... uh, time period and with this it's mercenaries cards form the backbone of your army from the simplest foot shoulder soldier with the strength of 1 to the mighty cannon with the strength of 10 players must decide which mercenaries will enter the battle with 58 mercenaries available for hire each player could have a formidable army so there you go I just kind of dig that. I like Z-Man games anyway. Usually their stuff is good. It's cheap. I think MSRP on this is 30 bucks, which means you can probably pick it up for eh, 25 20 from miniature market or wherever. And uh, yeah, the components yeah. are usually, the the artwork is good. The components are small and nicely produced. Yeah, yeah it looks like yeah. a
1: light war game.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I think. So
1: there you
0: go. So, does that bring us to the end of, yeah, it's weird. It's like, we recorded, like, a lot of different interviews this um, weekend. And it was like, well, should we do an episode? Technically, we're not due for one for, like, a, you know, um another week. But, you know, eh, what the hell? We're already talking to each other. You know, we get on Skype. It's a whole thing. Let's just record it. Whatever. And so, yeah, there you go. This, is, this has been it. This has been uh, episode 115. We hope you like it. And you should, you know, write us on um iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to us or Podastery or whatever. And um then yeah, send us an email at chance of at Gmail dot com. I'll send you a sticker or a um dice bag or something. <laughs> yeah, just just do that. I love the feedback. We, when we occasionally get feedback, like on Twitter, more often than not, they're like, "Oh yeah, I love you guys. You talk about different stuff." I'm like, "Oh yes, thank you, thank you for some direction, because we're just kind of just doing this. Because like Roy asked me, like, "Well, what do you think we should do for this?" I'm like, "I don't know, Roy. I don't think anybody cares. It's just like we do it." And they're like, <laughs> "Yeah." They're like, "We like that. Whatever you're doing, it's fine. It's great." I'm like, "Okay. Well, just let me know if we do something wrong. All right." So yeah, all
1: right. Yeah, well, let us know what you so, think, but be nice. Oh yeah. So uh,
2: I want to thank Matt Shoemaker for coming on and talking to us, and I, you can probably all tell that I have a new mic now, and I don't sound like I'm in the bottom of a swimming pool. So yay <laughs> me.
0: I know I I am gonna posit the conspiracy theory that Roy's been replaced <laughs> by 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 a different po- Ray Ray, Ray s- replaced Roy.
2: By someone with better audio.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I was like, oh, maybe they won't notice. I was like, no, we, we know. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds different.
2: So anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Roy Toy Cowboy. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. And I want to encourage everybody that's listening to register to vote if you're not registered. And then uh, go vote. We're about five weeks out from the election. so.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. It's a very be hard heard. election. Yes, even especially here in Mississippi. It's a very big election for us with uh, senators. Uh, I, for us locally, the Trent Lott position is coming open. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, always register to vote.
2: And if you want some advice on which way to vote, just tweet me and I'll let you know. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, he will.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Trapeer Jr. I'll be there, or at com. And next Saturday, the last Saturday of every month, is our monthly uh, wargaming day. So, if you are in St. Louis and you want to come play a war game, please come join us. It'll be great.
0: Oh, that reminds me. Yeah, um, get get my t shirt to me. I feel like I paid yeah. for somebody's. I will at the, the last. So the problem yeah, the is last...
1: after uh, after the ASL tournament, we usually take a couple months off ASL. So I haven't seen Jim since that tournament. Uh, I will okay. catch up with him and I'll get it from him though.
0: All right, yeah, I figured, like, I bought, you know, a couple people some nachos that that day with my (laughs) T-shirt contribution. So, yeah, I'm just, yeah, looking it Anyway. So, anyway, episode 115, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you back next time, guys. Good night, everyone. Thank you.
1: Party on, dudes.